0: You're listening to the Versus Node Podcast, presented by GamerNode.com. to episode 21 of the versus node podcast and our games of the year show and by games of the year you'll just have to find out i'm eddie anzotto the editor-in-chief of gamernode.com and your host and i'm here with the crew i'm here with dan crabtree managing editor
1: what's up
2: what's up (laughs)
0: hey how you doing dan
2: i'm i'm having like a hip-hop party over here nice that's that's why I said hello that way. Perfect.
0: That's, that's how my life really always is. So. Well, that's how this podcast is going to be. That's how I felt, yeah. And I think Mike Murphy, the news director, is going to agree with us. Right, Mike?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want it. There's that headache again. Awful
2: rap impressions.
0: And and the last lovely voice that you're hearing is Jason Finelli, associate editor of GamerNode.com. Jason, can you can you um, make this a little bit more highbrow for us? I
3: appreciate your kind words, sir, but I refuse to higher the brow. It will stay lowbrow. Oh,
2: that's no, really that? the only. I, I would be surprised if we could <laughs> if we could bring it above. You know, like a nursery rhyme. I feel like that's basically <laughs> where we're going to top out, and we should be content with that.
0: I think you know. I think we could reach limerick status.
2: Okay. Yeah, because well, we're clever this little like man that. From Peru. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can get down on that.
3: Haikus, right out. Too too much for us. <laughs> too much. Haikus are Very tough. Subtle. Minimalism yeah. is too much for us. Yeah, we talk way too much for that.
0: Which is cool, because we're a podcast. So, (laughs) that's what we're going to do. This is not only Versus Node 21, but it's also the Games of the Year show. We're coinciding with the 2011 Nodi Awards. Already up on the site, we have the first part, which is our special honors, 19 categories of all... Very particular special achievements in game design. We also have just one up today at the time of recording, which will be Thursday which is in the past when you're listening to this podcast, are the best of 2011 awards, which includes best in genre, best platform exclusives, best multi-platform, and so on and so forth. Um, Those are the kings of the hill, as I like to call them, for their respective categories. And there are a lot of games included there because, obviously, everything's a different genre, etc. And um, that's definitely something you should check out. And right now, this podcast is coinciding with our Game of the Year reveal. And that's what we're talking about, uh, the games that we think are worthy enough to be put forth as our favorites of the year. So each of us are going to talk about a couple of games, and... Um, See why or why not they may be worthy of considering for a game of the year recognition, uh, and, and I guess without further ado, we can jump right into it with Jason. Oh, start us out. Um, oh, man. tell me a little bit about the black and the
3: gold. Black and the gold. Um, hmm. Deus Ex. Deus Ex. Where do I begin? Deus Ex is a is a game where you can actually play it three different ways, and I love that. If you want to go in guns blazing and say, screw you people, I'll do this, I'll kill you all if you get in my way, you can do that. If you want to be like, nobody's going to see me, nobody's even going to know I was here, I don't want anything to do with anybody, you can do that too. Or if you want to put it in the middle, which is what I did, because full stealth has never worked for me, as a young lad or even now, so I've always been one to half and half it if I could. I feel that Deus Ex has a tremendous story. I love the whole intrigue and uh, and conspiracy. I love that whole thing. Now, I was not I was not familiar with the previous two Deus Exes. This is my first Deus Ex experience, and for me, for this game to be successful, it would make me want to play the old ones to mm. to, to, to go in and 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 live their experiences, and it did. Like, if that's how the story is in this game, then the story must be good in the previous two games for there to be a sequel now, or a prequel, I guess, now, so long after Deus Ex and the second one came out. Um, Gameplay was good. Like I said, three different ways to play. Story, again, very good. Graphically, very, very cool, although couple of little glitches here and there, but every game had that this year. Um, I can't think of a game that was perfect all the way through, gra- as far as graphics were concerned. What are you talking about?
1: <laughs> Dragons are supposed to fly backwards. No, they're
3: not, damn it. Says you. <laughs> um, I like the idea. Um, one of my favorite parts of the game is when you you are flying to Hangzhou for the first time, Hangzhou, China, and you see the city on top of the city. And you're like, what? What the hell? What, what? Who came up with that? But then you realize it makes perfect sense. The the bottom part is it. It, it, it kind of reminds me of Midgar. Yeah, of I head was head thinking head, that also. Where you got the slums and everything else in the bottom, and then you go up top, and that's where all the rich assholes live who keep the, the little people down. Uh, my only problem with Deus Ex was everybody else's problem: the way too easy or way too short boss fights. Oh um, man,
2: the boss fights.
3: Yeah, well, one in particular, the one with Yaron Namir, which is the guy who is who looks like he's in the room with the statues of the human muscle, and he's got the the, the suit that looks like a muscle, like the human like muscle with no skin. Yes, mm-hmm. he's supposed to be like the leader of this elite force of of um, mercenaries. And I read the book, so if you read the book, he's even more badass. But I literally walked up to him, typhooned him twice, and I, he was dead. Oh, man. That, that's, what I, that's what I got so excited for? Two typhoons, really? That
0: yeah. was just... I kind of rubbed You want me. to at least have some sort of struggle so you feel like you've accomplished something.
3: Yeah. I mean, he's supposed to be the toughest asshole of all the mercenaries that these people put against you. And eight, one, he's not even the final boss. And two, he was easy. I mean, I... Uh, <sighs> That, that bothered me a little bit. But all, all in all, great experience, great game. I think Elias Tufexis as Adam Jensen is one of the sleeper voice actors of this year. He was awesome all the way through. It made me really think that Adam Jensen was a certified badass. I mean, the augmentations helped too. But the way he just spoke to people and the way I loved it, loved every bit of it.
2: Jay, let me ask you this. As someone who played um, the Metal Gear Solid HD collection, um, one of the comparisons that I didn't hear a lot of between with Deus Ex Human Revolution was to the Metal Gear Solid series. But when I played it, that's kind of what I—that's the vibe I was getting. Did you get that sense at all, or were you kind of like, "No, maybe this is more just like straight up stealth action shooter"?
3: When I first when I first started playing Deus Ex, I, and I like I did the first mission where I could be stealthy and all that, it gave me a bit of of a, of a Metal Gear vibe. But one thing that really sets it apart from metal gear is their stories in that they're both about conspiracy. They're both about cover-ups, but Deus Ex, You can understand. Hmm. Whereas metal <laughs> yeah. gears, whereas metal gears story, you're just like, what the fuck is going I can on understand here? Metal gears story. You just have to sit through a two hour cutscene to do it. <laughs> but um, no, I, I understand those parallels. I do. But I think another thing is the, uh, the first, the third person, Metal Gear is a third-person action game. Always has right. been, always will be. The first person of Deus Ex, I think, sets it apart a little bit.
2: Well, and I think <laughs> that's probably why you're not seeing as many comparisons between them. But really, you're doing essentially the same thing. You know, yeah. Maybe not as many cardboard boxes involved, but the, you, you, know, you can drag both- bodies. You can, there's, no, you know, there's no helpful exclamation point system. just something True. like it.
3: <laughs> Although I, I feel that dragging bodies in Deus Ex is a lot more entertaining than in Metal Gear because in Metal Gear you just pick them up by the arms and throw them down in Deus Ex if you grab a body and look up that thing's going with you and you can <laughs> flip that thing every which way I love that yeah
2: Necrophilia it's awesome
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just them around. I turned your words on you that's how. Oh. That's what I do but yeah Deus Ex definitely worth the uh, the game of the year nod that it's got absolutely 100% yeah definitely um Deus Ex was a game that
0: was focused heavily on stealth, but let the player bring out as much action as they wanted to, depending on how they wanted to play the game. And one of Mike's games is somewhat similar in that its leading man is one of the stealthiest guys around, but also kind of kicks ass.
1: Batman Arkham City was amazing this year. Definitely, hands down, Game of the Year nominee. Uh, One of the best games of 2012, and it very well, in my opinion, surpassed Arkham Asylum for the best uh, superhero adaptation for a video game.
0: Um, So I have a question for you about Arkham City, and particularly about the city itself. Coming off of having played Arkham Asylum, what is it like now being in Arkham City compared to that more closed environment? How does that affect the game, for better or for worse?
1: Um, it actually kind of makes it better. Arkham Asylum, because it was so compartmentalized, actually felt bigger than Arkham City is. Um, that openness just made it, even though it was obviously big, I and I knew it was larger than all of Arkham Asylum, it actually felt smaller, at least the open section. Um, and I actually liked it. A lot more because it wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm gonna fly around here and then I gotta go through this doorway and up. Oh, there's a loading screen. Um, no, it, it was all pretty much seamless. And it, the only time you only really, really had to load was if you were going like into a building. Um, <clears throat> so traversal was definitely awesome, especially the fact that they gave you the ability if you did enough of the AR missions, which you, I think you only had to do half to be able to use the zipline to speed yourself up. So they handled that problem of the more open world um, very intelligently with that extra ability.
2: I read some commentary from some folks that said actually sort of the opposite thing that you said, excuse me, about the open world. Um, And they were saying that they actually liked Arkham Asylum better because they thought it was more focused with the larger indoor environments. For example, look at the police station. I think it's the police station where... Dr. Freezes. It's a pretty, you know, it's like a one-room thing, basically, with some hallways. Yeah. As opposed to really any of the indoor environments in Arkham Asylum. Do you feel like maybe limiting those indoor environments was a drawback in some sense, or do you think they made up for it?
1: A, a little bit of both. I think they made up for it. I mean, you could argue about, um, you know, the courthouse and the police station, but you also have to realize, well, what about Uh, Wonder City and the subway, that was incredibly intricate too. That was just like the designs in Arkham Asylum. And the city itself had so many alleyways and so many different paths of traversal and so many different buildings for you to go into. Plus, you also have to consider, um, in addition to Wonder City and the subway system, there was also um, the Riddler rooms. The Riddler rooms weren't always single room areas. You had to go through multiple rooms to solve different puzzles and stuff like that. Um, and there was also the industrial complex that had a lot of intricate rooms. Um, so I think I can see where those those complaints are coming from, but I think it really doesn't truly speak to the overall interior designs for uh, environments in Arkham City. And um, I, I I still believe that that Arkham City um, was better. I I really liked the fact that a large chunk of the game was one giant open world where I could go everywhere, not some segmented location where I would only be flying around or moving around for like maybe 30 seconds, and then I'm going into the next section, and I have to sit there for a loading screen for a little
0: bit. I think that's fair. I've heard, I've heard both arguments as well, and I actually haven't had a chance to yet play Arkham City, although I very much want to, but... From what I've heard, it sounds to me like the game, like Arkham City, is opening up more options to the player and diversifying environments and offering a, a level of freedom at the cost maybe of diluting the complexity of its level design as a whole. Maybe you have some of these areas that still latch on some of the, the design that people felt was excellent about Arkham City, and then there are some parts where the open world is very, very appealing, and then maybe there are these in-between parts that don't really exemplify the best characteristics of either end. Is that is that a fair thing to say? Uh, obviously, I haven't played, but it sounds that way. I think that's, I th- a, that's fair.
2: Yeah, I'd agree. I th- here's what I think. I think that it was trying to do a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I think in doing that, you also have like a ton of really cool stuff to look at, like Mike was saying from Vickyville to Hush. Like huge span, tons of Batman villains, but in that, you lose a lot of that focus. For example, when I got to The Last Boss, Clayface, which I was like, yeah, man, Clayface has always been my favorite Batman villain. I was like, wait, this is The Last Boss? And then it was mm-hmm. over – because the story didn't really make sense to end right there, because there wasn't a, that same sort of uh, single-minded trajectory that, yeah. that Asylum had. It was more like, hey, you know, figure it out on, at your pace. Maybe go hang out with Bane for a while. You know, go do some stuff with um, you know X other Batman villain, and then you'll come back. And maybe Catwoman's in there for a while, and then you'll come back. And so it was a little bit more segmented and splintered because of that. But it, it, so, which I think has its uh, its benefits and its and its detractors. I I found it a, a bit too distracted to mm. to be compelling. But I also really liked the fact that there were so many iconic villains in there. So tough to say. Yeah,
0: yeah it's I,
3: like- I, I, I I jump on that too. I call it disjointed. Like almost like it was trying to do like you said it was trying to do too much too much going on too much too many people to keep track of too many uh, I just I, I would have rather I mean I don't mind the open world I, I open world is great as opposed to Arkham Asylum I'm okay with that but I don't know I kind of wish it would have been like if if, if it was going to be Clayface then I'd rather they reveal him halfway through and then you could focus on Clayface for the rest of the game you know what I yeah, mean?
1: yeah 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 yeah, but the the point of the of that was that like it, like Clayface wasn't doing it because he was really evil. Like, the, I feel like the twist at the end came for good reason. I mean, I can see where people would think that it's kind of a waste of Clayface, but I mean, in the in the overarching plot of the Joker just simply wanting to screw with Batman's mind and screw with pretty much everyone's mind, so they all think he's fine. I thought it made made perfect sense.
2: Yeah, and I agree. I think that. In, in what it's trying to do and what they wanted to do they were successful. I think they could have done a little bit more and been a little bit more successful with a different plot hmm. with with a, a more um, possibly I mean focused focused so you know getting rid of some of those extra guys which wouldn't be easy to do right if you're a developer and you're approaching something uh, uh, an uh, intellectual property like Batman. You have so much to draw from and, and a huge fan base too. And so, you know, you, you can't leave anything out really or else you're going to disappoint someone. I mean yep. I remember when Arkham Asylum first came out and people were like, dude, where's Penguin? Where's the man? Like everyone got really upset about that because they loved Danny DeVito, I guess. I, don't, <laughs> okay. I think it could do something else and be more successful. Matter of opinion.
0: All right, so a lot of positive in Batman, a little bit detracting from it. Let's move on to something else that um, some could say is the same. We're going to move to Dan, and uh, one of his favorites of 2011, it actually didn't make it onto our... Top five are nominees. One
2: of two, right? One of two that we're going to talk about <laughs> that isn't on there. Which, at sometimes I'm like, yeah, man, I'm the rebel. Like, nobody understands me because I like these games. But, I mean, this game did really well, right? It sold sure. a couple million copies. So, Dead Space 2. Um, I, I feel like I could talk about it for a long time and, and it would be kind of useless because it's – if you've played Dead Space 1, then you have a really good sense for what Dead Space 2 is. I just happen yep. to like the series. You know, From Dead Space 1, I really enjoyed – I want to say the pacing is part of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I want to say the customization of weapons and the dismemberment gameplay. That's a part of it. There's a, f- a fair variety of enemies in um, different um, – they'll have like little moments where the gameplay – Changes to, for example, in uh, you know shooting asteroids, or you go into a zero g environment and you're floating around and doing all that. So I think there's it mixes it up a fair amount. And there's puzzles and um, and and a, a fairly cohesive story. Um, I think a lot of people were getting down on Dead Space Two this uh, <laughs> because it wasn't, and and I would say, I would agree with this. It wasn't. A survival horror game, really. It was more of like an action game that they threw a bunch of those like oogie boogie closet scares into, you know, like where it's like, hey, this looks like it's a treasure chest that's got golden things in it, and then you open it and there's like five demons that jump out and yell really loud. And I played this with like really awesome headphones too, and so this scares the shit out of you, you know, you know, really briefly. So there's a lot of that, but there's not any like true horror moments, like in the first one diatribe here for a second where, where you're walking into a room and this person is just banging their head against a pipe i don't know if any you played the first one and remember this scene but they're just banging their head against the pipe and you can hear it from like a couple hallways away and so you're creeping around and you you finally get up to it and you open the door and you see this person doing it and then they just one more time boom and it makes this crumpling sound sort of like a if you pushed in on a bag of potato chips and they just fall to the ground and you're like, oh my god, I am horrified. And to me, that's like, that's horror. Like, that's really cool. This game, it's more like, it's a little bit Uncharted-y, right? Yes. Yeah. There's, there's some of those segments, you're like in a train while it's falling and then you're like shooting out into space.
0: And, and I, think explosive. That, I think that those are the best moments of Dead Space too. I think it has incredible... Scripted moments with limited interactivity that make it very memorable and very awesome at those times,
3: but it was no longer surprising. Right, which was problems for me. It's it's, it's for me. For me, when I I played a little bit of it, just a little bit of it, um, enough that my blood pressure could take, I guess. Um, But I. uh, I found it from the first one, because I played a lot of the first one. Um, Instead of, like, exactly what you said. It wasn't so much horror as in, dear God, this is disgusting. It was more of a, like, ah! Like a a jump-at-you type of horror instead of, like, a psychological make-you-really-think-that-this-is-the-worst-thing-you've-ever-seen type of horror. And to me, I kind of took away from it. I kind of liked the whole you thing. Not so much the just shock value.
2: If you played it at all, right? You played the beginning which was um that segment where the the dude um gets plugged right from the beginning, turns into a necromorph in front of you, you push him off and then you run around and you're in a straight jacket. That yeah. segment to me was like, yes, this is like what we should do for a good portion of the game. Um and obviously they ended that pretty quickly, but Right. I love that those horror segments where you you're super powerless and you you just have to run and there's nothing else you can do. Hence why I'm a big fan of amnesia and games like that. But um yeah, I mean it it didn't continue for very long.
0: So Right. Yeah, I felt very powerful in Dead Space too. <laughs> um I also I also felt like I was following a lot of a lot of lines, straight lines just to nowhere that I had no real Worry or or care about where I was going. I was just trying to continue forward for the, like the first part of the game, and I didn't feel like the objective put forth. I, I guess it was just to escape, um, or whatever it was, was even there in my mind. I was just like, okay, moving forward, and there's there was very little gripping my attention. Um, later on, I had I had more tangible objectives in mind you know when when i was in this world and um i also liked how later in the game we got more of the uh marker insanity starting to play a a little bit more of a role but i i I, yeah i agree that i didn't feel like there was horror there but it was a good solid action game for sure
2: okay i'll say this and then I say let's move on because there's so much more to talk about. But I think I think what you're tapping into and, and what I really felt was that there's a huge lack of impetus in the game, that there wasn't mm-hmm. a ton of incentive. Um, and a lot of times you get that from narrative. Other times you get it from gameplay. You know, RPGs, it's like, oh, I want to be the biggest badass and Tamriel or whatever. Dead Space is just like a little bit of everything and nothing – no one thing too concretely so that you are propelled by that. So it's like narrative. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, I want to find out, like, why he's so crazy. Maybe figure out how to stop having all these weird sepia-toned visions of my wife. And then – but there's also kind of like a, a tight and thing. And then you're like, well, it would be cool if I had nice guns. And then you're like, well, I kind of want to find out what's around the next corner. But nothing's like I have to find out, right? Um, yeah. And there are some games – Especially this year that did that, um, and so I think you know I'm a I'm a big proponent of Dead Space as a series and and definitely Dead Space Two. I think it deserves to be nominated for Game of the Year. Got passed up. Hey, listen, I'm not bitter. Mean me <laughs> Dead Space Two. We'll go ahead and we'll stand at the base of your ivory tower and we'll pout, and that's fine.
0: Well, okay. The next game we have on the list. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna feel a little bit more included uh on this discussion because uh it's a game that I really enjoyed uh and felt was worthy, but also didn't make it onto the list. And I'm talking about a game that you reviewed, Dan, it's Bastion. That's um what I'm
2: talking about yeah.
0: Yep. Something about this game, you know, I'm I'm not even entirely sure what it is about Bastion, but as a whole, I just—it was the type of game I just wanted to stick with. It, it did have impetus; like I was compelled to finish this game, be it the narrative by Rux, my favorite guy of 2011, or just the mysterious fate and history of the Bastion and Ceylandia, Um, I was always compelled to keep going. And the gameplay was super simple. It did have some variety in in the weaponry that you could use and some of the buffs that you could put on yourself and things that you can put together in the Bastion area. But um, I feel like this is a game where it had something. It had, like, the X factor.
3: And I don't know if you guys agree, but that's how I felt. I I'm right there with you with everything as far as the uh the narrator and the gameplay and everything else but as far as the specific like how you play the game the top down Diablo style gameplay this to me I think could fit with the upcoming Diablo 3 I don't know about you guys I don't know what you think about that but I just I, I once I played it I'm like hmm I could I could see this in other places Not only that but real quick I think the idea of reactive narration is the coolest thing ever Yeah <laughs> And more games should do that. Any game that will tell me that that where the narrator will react to what I'm doing, that's that's awesome. Gotta stop rolling around.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean you immediately just sacrifice that fourth wall the second you do it. So if if you're at all uncomfortable engaging the player at that proximity, you have to keep that up. But I I agree. I think that's
1: I find it just as much an accomplishment the fact that the narration did not get old or boring or oh yeah just or weaker as the story went on it still stayed just as strong just as fresh and it and it still was one of the main reasons why you kept yourself immersed in the world you see a storyteller is a lot like a landscape yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, no i'm behind that <clears throat>
3: I, think, I like it i'm
2: in I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about bastion which sounds silly but i really like it um <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you know what, Jason? Hello. Just, before he goes to bed just at just crap oh, on God. my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I, love I, I have, and here's here's what I think is really exceptional about it, um, and that I didn't realize at first. I think it's the concision, um, and and the idea of delivering a lot in a, a very short amount of time with a, a limited amount of resources because it's you know a, a fairly small downloadable game. For example, take the level where you're first introduced to that bull god. I don't remember the name of it. Mm-hmm. And, and they start interacting with the idea of religion. And religion is sort of like this crutch, but it's also false. But maybe there's something worthwhile to that crutch, right? There's that whole argument. But it's packed into a very small segment of that game and – you're also playing while you're getting that information like you're you're in the middle of a boss battle and you're also being told like hey religion's a farce you should totally think about this thing and then and so <laughs> all in like five minutes you've gotten this really fantastic complex argument and I think it does that throughout
0: yeah and then the game builds on the things that it tells you in that way with sort of extensive gameplay systems, because then you have the temple with all the idols that then affect gameplay.
3: Yeah.
2: So, I mean, I think, you know, a number of layers all coexisting in the same, you know, three to five minute moment. I think that's really where it triumphs and and where it's... It's such a powerful thing. And I think that's why people react to it so strongly is they're like, wait a minute, I don't know that games could do this because we're kinda used to compartmentalized
0: moments. Right. And then also at the toward the end of the game, I'm not gonna spoil anything, but it somehow gets really heavy on the player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like just real like, briefly. Like you're just carrying everything <laughs> ever. Yeah. And and literally you are if you choose to go one route with the character
1: it was amazing that a game like that actually had such like a something like that in it and um i'd have to say one of my favorite parts of the entire game that really helped hook me was the fact that even the side missions the challenge missions Brought in immersion by telling you the backstories of all the main characters. So if you really wanted to immerse yourself in the world and learn just who is this kid and like you know who is uh, the 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 boy that he befriended and then betrayed? What about the mute girl? You got to learn all about that while at the same time doing a challenge mission for like for extra experience and for leveling.
0: Yep. And now just one last thought. What I think is the the very best part about Bastion is that it was written and directed by a games journalist.
2: Yeah, yeah, Greg Savin,
0: yeah. So, from there, <laughs> We're legit. Exactly. So, who's?
2: I mean, are you guys working on something right now? Is that
0: it's on no. the back burner?
1: Project. What, what, what are you
2: talking about?
0: <laughs> So now we've covered the, two, the only two games that are not on our nominees for Game of the Year. So let's swing right back into it, maybe jump, leap, and fly from island to island <laughs> with it. And uh, Jason, tell
3: us about a classic franchise making a return. And what a return it is! But first, let me let me segue real quick and say that your particular brand of segways are something to be treasured. <laughs> they really are. Um, you're a master of segway. Segway master. But anyhow, I actually ride segways while podcasting. Oh, that's fantastic! But yes, I am talking about the Legend of Zelda: Skyward Sword, which I think I'm. Uh, I'm going to say it. It might be my favorite. Zelda game. But here, here's why I'm saying this, and, and I uh, I wrote this for s- somewhere. Um, Zel- a good story to me, there has to be a good foundation in order to end it. I I allude I, I like to compare Skyward Sword to Metal Gear Solid 3 in, in this way. Metal Gear Solid 3, if you don't have Metal Gear Solid 3, if, if, if it goes 1, 2, 4, 4 doesn't make any sense, because 3 sets up the entire background of things like the Patriots and um, like uh, specific characters that are in 4, like Big Mama, who that is, without 3, those characters don't make any sense. And for me, Skyward Sword is Nintendo kind of saying they might be ready to end this story all, once and for all. Hmm. Because in order to end the story once and for all, you have to have the beginning. You have to say where it all starts. That is deep. This game, I feel, is now the most important. But but a story aside, the game itself is fantastic. The whole... um, The the motion control, the sword play motion control, I think, is some of the best on the Wii. Period. The precision that you need to play this game. I, I... With Twilight Princess and Mario Galaxy with the spin thing, I found myself just shaking the remote like nobody's business. But... In this game, I actually felt that I had to choose my slices. I, I thought I, I had to choose my direction. I had to choose my spots. Because, like, for example, you're fighting the Stalphos guys, the Skeleton Warriors. I've been in this series forever. He's got two swords, and he's holding his swords in a certain direction. It could be an L shape. It could be parallel, long ways, parallel, sideways, whatever. And the only way you can damage him is to slice, counteracting which way his... Um, Swords are so. If he's holding them long parallel, you have to go straight down in the middle of them. Or if he's holding it in an L shape, you have to go diagonal where you would cut the right angle in half. That kind of thing. That is awesome. Now, can the game be played without
0: motion plus? Not no. even close.
3: Not even no. close. Not. Um, and, and, and in fact, that's
2: that's kind. Of, that's part of my beef with this Zelda game is that they relied so heavily on the motion controls, which as Jason says, are really pretty good. Um, and, you know, for the most part, when you're swinging from the right to the left, that's how it's going to happen. You know, it's not 100%, but it's pretty good. But then you have, like, this beetle that you have to control with the remote. Oh, jeez, that beetle. And then you have, like, this the swimming mechanic also enviro- involves using the remote somehow. I don't, I don't exactly remember. The
3: swimming mechanic is the same as the flying mechanic. I think it was, right, was and the, the
2: flying mechanic, method. right, is also the same way. Um yeah, the whip, kind of, not so much. I just I just feel like almost everything used at least a flick of the remote. Oh, and, yeah.
3: I mean, the, the flicks were definitely there, but I don't think they were nearly as prominent as past Wii games have been. I think they really got their heads on straight when it came to just not flinging the remote. Amen.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, it wasn't as errant. It wasn't as if they were saying, hey, just do whatever with the Wii remote, and there's Ganondorf, and bye. Yeah, you know, right. There was certainly some sort of strategy to it, and I think that's what they wanted to do since they came up with the idea for the Wii, right? And yeah, they controlled would have had flicking. A Twilight Princess, if they had the Wii Motion Plus, as you know, at that time. But yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. I kind of wish that we would have stuck to less. It's it's less about hey how do I wrangle these controls into solving this puzzle and more like hey this puzzle is really complex because it's uh, a Rubik's cube in some fashion and so I have to figure that out it's, you know it's an intellectual challenge
0: mm. um,
2: I, not to say that those aren't there but I think that they
3: are overshadowed by a lot of those those motion control puzzles and without without saying anything in particular. Um, Spoiler-wise, um, I think the last dungeon might be one of the coolest dungeons
2: ever. That was really cool. That's true. Yep.
3: Um, but, yeah, there. I said it. Favorite Zelda game all the time. Now, I could go play Ocarina of Time again and be like, eh, but I, I loved it. It really it really caught me. It really hooked me. Awesome. Awesome, I'm very interested to finally
0: get my hands on some Zelda action, which I'm woefully ashamed that I haven't been able to do since e three. Um, but um I have played Mike's next game and it's pretty much a roller coaster ride, just like its predecessors. Um, so I want to hear what Mike has to say about... Uncharted 3.
1: Uncharted 3. Uh, where do I start? Uh, Can we start
2: with the noise that happens when you die? Because I heard that a lot.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I did too. Drake. Drake! <laughs> yeah. Hey, no! Um, anyway, Uncharted 3 was not as good as Uncharted 2. But... That still doesn't mean that this wasn't one of the best games of the year. Like Eddie said, it was a nice roller coaster ride, and some of the set pieces were amazing. And I I actually liked um, the twists that came at the end of the game and the final boss fight. Um, I believe that uh, the hand-to-hand upgrades uh, were much better. I thought hand-to-hand was a lot more fun. There were You didn't end up entering into a fist fight and it didn't mean certain doom as it did in Uncharted 2. Um, And they they really worked on making like boss fights not as lame and generic or like as formulaic, I might say. It felt much more personal and intense Um, and it was different. Some people didn't like it because it was different but I, I thought it was a, a welcome surprise. Um, as far as the, the the cover and shooting gameplay, a lot of people give Uncharted flack for, for the gameplay, but I've always loved it. I've never really had much of a problem with it. Um, uh, the multiplayer itself, also huge, huge upgrade from Uncharted 2. Uh, more... There was sexual story in the co-op. There was more uh, game modes. There was more customization. Um, you could make symbols that would show up on on the map if you were doing the best on your team. Um, the the maps were very well designed. I felt like the weapons were a little more balanced, um, and it was it was a much better overall experience and one of the best multiplayer's of the year. Um, so, you know, in summary, I thought that Uncharted 3 was an incredibly solid game and a good entry in the series. It definitely fell flat from a lot of people's expectations story-wise, but Naughty Dog, just, just they know how to make exciting, engaging action-adventure games. And I thought that this was another good installment in the series, and it was definitely far better than the majority of, of what else 2011 had to
0: offer.
3: I have two major beeps with Uncharted 3, both okay. in single-player. One, which I've said many times before, is the whole focus on the sand element and only being there in Chapter 17 when there's only 22 chapters. Well, That bothers me.
1: I enjoyed the glo- – I, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're getting at, and that did bother me a little bit. But overall, I feel that the, the globetrotting nature of the game I think was better than just saying, okay, we're doing sand. Here's sand. Nothing but
0: sand. Yeah.
3: Well, I, I I do understand I,
0: that. I would agree right. with Mike too on that because I think that's just a problem with uh, you're not having a problem with the game, but having a problem with the marketing. And yeah, I think true. if they never said anything, and then you came across a sand level, a desert level that was awesome, um, yeah, well done. Then you'd be like, wow, look look at how great they did this particular level. You wouldn't be saying like, where was this level?
3: Oh, now, yeah. you know what I mean? That's true. Though I will admit, the wandering through the desert was fantastically done. Oh, I love that. But awesome. Great. That was great. Um, my second one is, and this could ha- we've all played it, correct? Yes. Yeah. We've all beaten it. Yes. yes. All right. Cool. So I don't care if I spoil anything because you guys know. Is it me, and maybe I missed something here, or was there a major? Is there a major plot hole in this game, or at least something they haven't explained yet? You when, about the thing that you talk- Greg my- picked up on. I'm thinking – yeah, that, that, that when when uh, Nathan is talking to Catherine Marlowe, they're having this – well, I, I, I don't know if it was – In my opinion, I played through the
1: game story twice, and the first time I got that sense, I'm like, wow, they really kind of dropped the ball with that. I really would have liked to have seen more. But on my second playthrough, looking at it as far as in the context of that scene and where Nate's head was at at that time – Marlo was really just trying to screw with Nate, and Nate was really only concerned about Sully. He really didn't care. Like, it bothered him that she knew, but nobody else found out, and he was just concerned about Sully, so he was willing to just drop the subject. And I think it was a great – it was a nice way to plant a seed – for something that could be expanded upon and more fully invested and have a more fair focus in a future uncharted game. Rather than being this is all about Drake and Sully. Wait a minute, Elena and Drake are having are having problems. We gotta do that too. Oh crap. Now we gotta focus on this too. Instead of they were kinda like, let's just drop this little bit of information, let it go into the players' heads, and then we'll bring it back for later because ultimately we don't have time for it, and there's more important stuff going on personally for Nate
3: than him to worry about the fact that his secret's out. Well, here's my problem. You call the game Drake's Deception, and then you throw that out there.
1: Well, the thing is they never clarified whose deception it was, Nate's or or Sir Francis, and you find out through the globetrotting adventure that Fran- the whole reason they're following this trail is because Sir Francis Drake deceived Queen Elizabeth with his findings.
3: Okay. Well, yeah, I I understand that, but but I I, I don't know. I kind of wish that was a little more... And yeah, that's probably just going to be the emphasis for a future Uncharted game, but I kind of wish that was a little more uh, fleshed out. I was really kind of like, oh, you just kind of tease us with that. That's nice.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a big, big tease, and you're left there like... What? Are you going to finish? Are you going to finish, or are you just going to leave me here sitting here?
3: Yeah, but I... I don't know when we're going to get Uncharted 4 because uh, we have The Last of Us to worry about, but that's for next year.
1: Well, the thing is, The Last of Us, um, Naughty Dog actually split its studio into two teams so they could handle The Last of Us and possibly future Uncharted titles. Oh, no kidding. Yep. I like it. I Uh, will say, one thing that I did love is the fact that for once, one of Nate's former um, associates didn't either betray or be against him. I love yeah, the true. fact that Cutter – that they that they toyed with that in the story. They toyed that you know Cutter was first a bad guy. And then it turned out it was a ruse. Then he got deceived. Then you don't know if, if after that fight if, if Cutter really trusts Drake and, and Sully. I love how they teased that because they, they knew that everybody knew the formula and everybody was going to think what was going to happen. And they were like, you know, we're just going to tease you on it and go in this other direction just to show you guys that we're not rehashing the same old stuff time and time again.
3: Yeah, I could see that. And I I thought that the uh, fist fight with Cutter was pretty cool, too. Yes. While he's all doped up. And the
1: point of the fight isn't to knock him out, but to just keep him off of you.
3: Calm him down a bit. Yeah, I love all of the fist fighting. I thought that was great.
0: It was uh, a, a lot of fun to take part in those those fights with the camera, just sort of like twisting around the action while you're still doing what you need to do to play out these scenes that felt like a lot of the other parts of Uncharted, the Uncharted series, very movie-like, so that was really cool. I love how the game just starts off with it, too, how you're just all of a sudden in this action scene, and you're having this really Hollywood-style fight, and I I love what Uncharted does with those sorts of situations. And I guess... Moving on from there, um, we're going to move from a game that starts off not only with that fight, but with a couple of faked deaths, to one that begins with a miraculous and pretty unfortunate escape from execution. Um, <laughs> so, so that is, of course, The Elder Scrolls V: Skyrim, just an immense immense world of a game that is instantly impressive and leaves so much for the player to explore, uh, for you to develop your characters, and really just find yourself exactly where you want to be while while playing a game like this. I mean, at least to me, it's it's sort of exactly the game that I want, and... Overall, I think this game is a, a triumph.
1: I used to give Skyrim a ton of praise until I took an arrow in the knee.
3: Oh, goddammit. <laughs> you did. I,
1: I you had to go there. there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's out of my system. It's over. No more.
3: Don't ever say that again. But no, I, 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 I was going to say it too, probably. Um, my problem with Skyrim, not that there are many, but I kind of feel... With games of that scale, and most of them are Bethesda games that I can think of off the top of my head, it's almost intimidating. Like, when someone tells you, I've played this game for 120 real hours, and I have yet to do a single story mission, you're just like, holy crap. There's so much to do. Uh, you you would need, I can't imagine the amount of time I'd have to devote to this thing to be able to wrap, to wrap my head around it. Yeah, I put about like thirty
1: or forty hours into the game and I'm I haven't even reached the second city where you have to go on uh to find the dragons. Like I literally I spent my first fifteen hours going to Whiterun and then doing quests in Whiterun, doing the the what's the name of the new Fighters Guild? The um new oh Fighters God. Guild. Fight Club. Yeah, fight Club. <laughs> All right, whatever, Fight Club. Um, but, and, then <laughs> like, I, and then I went up the mountain, talked to the, um, the sages, and I, went, and I was literally in my 40th hours or whatever, I was wandering to the, to the second city, and I kept getting just distracted by all the random happenings of people walking by and doing certain things and dragons showing up and just the spontaneity of it just keeps, keep, keeps distracting me from continuing in the, on in the main story but in a good way.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, but is that awesome? <laughs> is my next question.
1: <laughs> yeah, it it is awesome because it's like, oh, you're walking around. Oh crap, a dragon attacks, and you you find like, oh, good, I have saved that dragon. But holy crap, these 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 jerks over here have a poor guy imprisoned, and he's wrongfully imprisoned. So I'm gonna fight him. And Then this person's running to help me save his farm, and it really made you feel like important, and feel like the world was living and breathing.
0: Mm. Then again, I guess it also like we talked about before, takes focus out of the game and and sort of maybe makes it feel disjointed as well.
2: But maybe that's not what this game is about. I I think, for me, Batman was that way because I wanted there to be this driving, cohesive, single narrative behind everything. In this game, I almost wish there was no main quest. Uh, I almost wish that there was no final boss, that, that you didn't have to come to sort of this artificial end because, like Jason was saying, you can play just hundreds of hours without even touching the main story. I think that's awesome because cause the objective then isn't let me get to the point where I beat the game. It's let me inhabit the game and let me let me be a an entity inside the game that I create for myself and and let me do deeds in the way that I wish as opposed to you know, uh, a hallway.
3: Then it should be an MMO.
2: Well, That's I disagree. Terrible. I think I think that there's that nobody's done it before, but I think that there's totally room for a game to do that and be a single player RPG.
0: I think that a game could develop from a from a situation where there's just no driving force at all from the beginning and then as you play your actions create the path that you're meant to follow for the end game hmm. yeah. I, th- I, th- I think th- that would th- be a th- good th- compromise
3: yeah. so like one one end game but it doesn't get decided you, you don't find out what it is until you just kind of do things and, and it eventually builds to that end game
0: yeah, yeah, I would, I would say something like that would be a good way not only to give you the freedom to explore and that feeling of just being in the world and, and doing your own thing, but also remove this suspension of disbelief you sort of have to hold when you realize that you've been living 10 game years without having moved
3: forward with the urgent matters at hand. Right. See that that's one of the things that rub didn't rub me the wrong way, but I was just annoyed. One time I'm playing and there this you know, I'm messing with a with I'm walking around doing nothing and this dragon attacks. I'm sorry, I messed with a mammoth and the mammoth started attacking me. It, it was the only mammoth I've ever seen the only mammoth I've ever seen that didn't have a giant with it. Ah. So I'm like, all right, I'm screwing with this mammoth. So I, I stabbed him a little bit and he came after me, yeah, whatever. And all of a sudden these guys are coming to help me. I'm like I'm like, ooh helpers. That's awesome. So I have these guys are shooting arrows at the mammoth and slicing them and casting spells. I'm like, sweet. Someone must have saw me in my hour of need and came to help me. It's awesome. So we finally down the mammoth, and I go over to the mammoth to see what's there, like if I can pick anything up, like a tusk or meat or whatever. And those fuckers started attacking me. It's like, oh, it's like, oh we killed them. You're next. And it turns out they were bandits. So I killed them, and then I took their stuff. But, but don't... <laughs> Don't help me just to hurt me. It doesn't actually, make any
1: sense. I actually had a, a situation very similar to that. And I thought that it was it was actually awesome because like it's kind of like you're dealing with the most immediate threat first, which is something that would happen in the real in real life because there was one instance where I was going to a like a guard tower for a quest and I got attacked by by a dragon. And the dragon didn't only start attacking me but started attacking the guards and then started attacking a bunch of um like uh outlaw treasure hunters nearby. So everybody was focused on killing the dragon. The second the dragon was down and everybody was alive, the guards turned around and one hit slaughtered all the treasure hunters and then just went off – went about their business. And I was like, what the hell? Yay? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yay! (laughs) Yay!
2: Well, and I think that's what's so exciting when you talk to people who have played Skyrim. Those are the stories that they tell you are the emergent ones, right? Not the not like, oh man, that one quest to High Hrothgar was so awesome because they told me to go there and I did. It's like, right? It's like I did this thing that I bet you didn't do. I threw ten thousand cheese wheels down the side of the throne of humanity or throne of
0: the world or whatever. That's interesting. Um these sorts of stories in the past i think this is this is important actually these sorts of stories have usually been reserved for multiplayer sessions between friends in in their arenas but now a game like skyrim brings that to a single-player environment where you can have emergent stories like that that only exist because you're interacting with all of these AI characters who are real enough to almost be like other real people, as in you know multiplayer would have been in the past.
2: Uh, let me put it this way. Judgment aside, I know two guys that play Skyrim at separate residences, and they get on Xbox Live, put on the headsets, and just talk to each other and say – Dude, I just collected fifty troll skulls and I'm totally storing them in my cupboard. And you know, and then they like, and so they're just talking. They're having this dialogue, just telling each other what they're doing. And and of course, they're not saying, "Oh, I'm doing that one mission where you do." You know, they're saying, "No, this is like this incredible thing that I discovered because, like Eddie was saying, the AI is alive enough, and because the world is so well built." And I think that's really where a game like Skyrim thrives. I would even love to see them push it further, like I was saying, and and just get rid of or find some sort of compromise of uh, not having it be so oriented towards the main quest, even though it's obviously not entirely.
1: I think that kind of environment, that kind of world and what Bethesda has built in Skyrim uh, has really spoken to just the evolution of games in general. And just how far coding and AI and building a world has has come in in these these what twenty five years since since the, the NES came out and even before that with the Intellivision and all and the Atari twenty six hundred, it really speaks about how this medium that was originally just two sticks two white sticks going up and down bouncing a ball back and forth. How far that's come to to this, to Skyrim.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And I mean, we can go that route and put ourselves in giant, expansive worlds with what seem like no end to the emergent stories we can tell. Or we can put ourselves in a series of boxes, room to room, (laughs) playing with a single mechanic throughout the game. And I think Dan's gonna talk about that.
2: Okay, so Catherine isn't the best game,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: I'm
3: kidding. Oh, no, that's, that's actually, awesome. I
2: actually didn't play Catherine, so I really can't speak ah, to you're it. You're missing but out. That's what I hear. That's what they tell me. Um, <laughs> no, we're talking about Portal Two, which, which is also good. Which is on pretty much everyone's game of the year list <laughs> this year. Um, they took something that was really awesome. Succinct, in the same way that Bastion was, um, really inventive, and they expanded on it. I think everyone's worry at first was like, "Well, they're just going to do like Portal, but longer, right?" Um, but they did a lot else with it. And I think probably my favorite thing about it, just jumping ahead, is the co-op. I don't know if how many of y'all played the co-op, but I did that, and then I did the the free DLC with it. And it, man, it is a lot of fun. It is an incredible, like. Especially because they set up the tools so well, the communication tools between the co-op partners, such that you really don't have to be talking to them on a headset or you know, be in the same room as them in order to communicate well. You can point at something and say, hey, open this door. Um, I'll also say this for the single-player campaign. When the game first came out, I started playing it at 10 p.m. and I finished playing it at 10 a.m. Um, I mean, I might have been drinking the whole time. Who knows? It's it's really <laughs> up for debate. But the point is that I finished it in the one night. I totally didn't intend to either. It just happened because I was so entrenched. In it big part of that is the voice acting, and I know um, I know you guys would love to talk about that. So I'll I'll cede the floor to anyone who wants to talk about Stephen Merchant or my favorite. I love me some J.K. Simmons. Oh yeah, all about that guy. But
3: yeah. Oh yeah, the, easily some of the best voice, voice work this year it's you know, many people's list as the best voice acting of this entire year without a vocal main character. Valve just seems to be the master of the silent protagonist. Yeah, I mean they they their focus on everything around you as opposed to the person you're playing as is is mastery. Absolute mastery. Um I I have a special place in my heart for Wheatley. I mean, he turns out to be a bit of a jerk. <laughs> but But I I don't think there's been any better use of ad lib in video games than Wheatley. Stephen Merchant is a genius. I don't think they told him to make Wheatley so nervous. Like a nervous uh, having to explain himself with way more words than he ever had to type (laughs) of character. But Merchant just ran with it. And everything he says is brilliant. I don't think I've laughed any more in that game than when Wheatley was talking to me. Yeah. Everything he said was gold. Even during the final Agreed. boss fight, even during the final boss fight, when he's like, when he's like, no, well, don't do that, don't do that, you don't have to do that, and then so she's like, push the button, push the button. He's like, no, don't push it, it's fine. And then you go over to it, and he's like, booby trap the stalemate button. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> My personal favorite part was uh, was oh no, this is the part where he kills you. Yes, yes, this quite is this is, this is the part where you die, where I, where I go and kill you. Now, if you now if you could just stand right there. Just just stay still. Don't Whatever you do, don't move. And, and I'm going to do that thing where I kill you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think that you have a potato on your main weapon for half the game. Not half the game, but for a good portion of the game. It's, that says something. That says that that developer has balls, right? <laughs> I'm willing yeah. to put a spud in like, – <laughs> to have a, a, a potato take up what, – what do we want to say? A tenth of your screen for like – Two-thirds. It's like a good third of the game. Okay. Um, I think also, so Portal was all about the invention, right? And every and everyone's like, "Wow, I've never seen this technology before." You know, this kind of gameplay. And we knew that was coming in this one. So the only way it was going to thrive was on those um, those moments of realization when you finally figure out one of those puzzles, and you're just like, "Oh my god, that's incredible!" For example. If you've played the co-op, there's one puzzle where, um, I think it's sort of towards the end, where you're, it's a big room and it's got a couple of launchers and you're trying to figure out how do I get to this one thing in the middle and eventually you realize that both of the characters have to launch themselves simultaneously to hit in midair and then land on um, a platform below. Which is, uh, you know, very much not apparent. And when you finally realize that, and you're playing with someone co-op online, both of you are just like, "Oh my God, are you kidding me? We had to do that!" And that's, you know, that kind of um, pushing the player to, you know, challenging the player to to come up with that creative answer, and and leading them to do that in s- certain subtle ways, I think, is really where Portal 2, um, at least in a gameplay sense, succeeds.
1: It was it was really great. I had like the this one moment where where you first used the white gel, that took me an hour and a half, two hours. I painted the whole room white until I realized that I had to go up these two pillars. I had this oh my god, eureka, you are a moron, idiot uh, moment. But the one on the flip side of that, as brilliant as that was, it shows one of the big flaws and probably one of the only flaws with Portal Two, the fact that once you figure out those puzzles it, it's easy like the replayability unless you really want to hear Stephen merchant ramble or jk simmons rant about lemons you it, it doesn't have much replayability
3: for me i i was one of the guys who was wondering how they were going to change portal 2 how they were how they were going to change a three-hour game to make it interesting for 10 plus hours Yes, you have your voices. Yes, you have your your um, your backstory, which is really cool. The backstory, especially Gladhouse's backstory, I thought that was fantastic. But for me, the addition of all the gels was brilliant. The gel that speeds you up, the gel that makes you slower, the gel that I, I was like, uh, how, the gel—it's brilliant. Just paste it all over the goddamn place and do what you want with it. That. Oh, man. I I remember the first time I I found the bouncy Joe. I don't remember what color it was. I want to say the blue. Blue. Right. I just – I forgot about the puzzle for a second, and I just went over to a place that had a low ceiling, and I put some blue on the floor, and I put some blue on the ceiling, (laughs) And I just kind of bounced for a while.
2: <laughs> well, it's kind like of, in the first portal when you just made the portal on the ceiling and the floor and you yeah, just did that for exactly. a while. Yeah. For a bit.
3: I did the same kind of like, experimentation type thing. Um, I also really enjoy this is a minor thing for the achievement guys. I loved some of the achievements in this game. Like, there's one where Wheatley tells you to come over and push the button. Yes. And if you don't do it, for a good 15-20 seconds eventually you'll get a blip that says achievement unlocked, I think it's 15 points you made your point
2: <laughs> they have a similar thing in Half-Life 2 if you remember the beginning with the can and, and if you don't put the throw the can away, so obviously you know, Valve is a fan of Rebellion, right? Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean I, I can't say enough about Portal 2, I thought it was awesome. You know,
0: mean- after this discussion I've been thinking of a really fun game idea and you have to hear me out on this um, it's actually I'm not going to describe it I'm just going to say what it is and you'll let, let your minds wander however you want so Portal 2 meets an open world mirror's edge
3: oh my headache uh, is back whew. yeah Oof. I just got one too okay You you are asking for an epileptic catastrophe.
2: (laughs) I hope he's asking for Half-Life 3. Fingers crossed, right?
3: Yeah. Hide the portal. That was code for it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that's it, actually. Those are the eight games that we were planning to talk about. So that just about wraps it up. The only thing we have left to do is tell you what our game of the year was. I want to go around the table here, this virtual table, and ask you guys what you think the Game of the Year should be after our discussion and after you know having lived through this year in gaming. I want to start with Mike. What do you think the Game of the Year should be? Uh,
1: Game of the Year was – this year was probably one of the hardest decisions for me to make on Game of the Year. Almost as, hard, um, almost as hard if not harder than in 2009 when I was trying to decide between Uncharted 2 and Assassin's Creed 2. I eventually sided with Skyrim, mm. but I honestly believe that I could make or anybody could make just as good an argument for Portal 2.
0: Mm-hmm. If,
1: uh, I think if there was ever a year where, like, where I would be okay with two games sharing the same award, I would give co-game of the year to Portal 2 and Skyrim.
2: It's crazy, too, nice. because there's such apples and oranges, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They're such different games, but they do their styles so well.
3: What do you think, Jason? I am probably the lone
2: dissenter.
3: <laughs> Listen, that's North okay. Coast
2: Capcom 3 is not even on the
3: list. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even my fighting game of the year, sir, so it's certainly not my game of the year. For me, a game is based on three main tenets, story, gameplay, and graphics, in that order. And because of that, my game of the year is Deus Ex. Deus Ex. And the reason I go back to it is they both have excellent gameplay, they both have excellent graphics, but to me, story is a is the deciding factor. Because Deus Ex has a great story, aside from the boss battles. A great story with great endings, multiple endings, everything you could possibly ask for in a story. Where Skyrim probably has a good main quest too, but we just talked a good 10 minutes about how it's irrelevant. And how it really doesn't even need to be there in order to enjoy the game. And for me, it, it in order to be... And then, being a big story guy, this is just my personal opinion. I, I'm okay with Skyrim winning game of the year. It absolutely should. It has it has every reason to. It's a great game. But for me, story is one of the biggest things in a game. I need to be engaged not only in the world that I'm in but in the plot that I am playing, and I just think Deus Ex did a better job. That's, that's, a, really a, that's a fair point.
0: Argument.
1: I'm a big story guy too, and had I have played Deus Ex, I might share the same opinion as you, Jason.
3: Mm. Well, play it, Dan. I hate being alone. <laughs> oh.
0: Well, we're going to skip Dan because Dead Space 2 is not on our list, so thanks and good night. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, Dan, where do you stand?
2: You know what? I'd, I'd probably say Bastion. I think, you know, I it, but for me, it's also between that and Skyrim, but again, it's just that concision. Um, right. The, what they were able to do with five hours of my time versus what Skyrim has done with, you know, 30-odd hours or whatever. So, I'm giving it to Bastion.
0: Nice. Hmm. All good choices, for sure. I think I would go with Skyrim or Dark Souls. Oh, we didn't even maybe, talk about that game. Which we didn't talk about, but Dark Souls has its own issues and its own limiting factors, let's say. So... I would go with Skyrim as well, and as you'll see, scrolling down the page, or if you're listening on iTunes, if you go to GamerNode, you'll find that Skyrim is indeed our game of the year, and like Mike said, uh, he wouldn't mind seeing it shared with Portal 2. Portal 2 is the runner-up.
3: this
2: is where you insert that music.
0: That's a wrap for 2011. We've got a lot to look forward to in 2012. We're not even going to go into it. But we do have a feature coming up that's going to highlight all the games that we are looking forward to in 2012. Maybe not all of them, but a good chunk of them. Um, So there's that to look forward to, and of course another great year in gaming ahead on the brand new GamerNode site which we all know is slick and beautiful and we love working on it and uh, with that I just want to say thanks guys I look forward to 2012 with all of you and
3: with all the games that are coming yeah man I'm excited the and the podcast and, po- and the kid and the podcast before the three of them pissed their pants